Hello and welcome to Spanish True Crime, a podcast dedicated to covering true crime stories from Spain. My name is Natalia and I'm here to bring to you fascinating cases you have probably never heard about yet. Today you're going to learn about what is probably the most infamous wrongful conviction case in Spanish recent history. You will have seen the title of this episode refers to one woman, Rocío Vaninkov, but she isn't the only victim in this story. This is also Sonia Caravantes and Dolores Vázquez's story. Rocío Vaninkov was 19 years old and lived near Málaga, in the Spanish southern region of Andalusia. On October 9, 1999, she was going back home to the small town of Mijas after spending the day with her boyfriend, Antonio José Dorado. She wanted to get a shower at her place and then meet with him again to go to Fuangirola to spend the evening there at the local celebrations that were taking place. That were taking place. The distance between her boyfriend's place and her own was only of about 500 meters, but she never made it there. Her disappearance was unnoticed until the next morning. At first, her mother, Alicia Hornos, thought she was with her boyfriend, but he told her they hadn't met that night in the end because he had fallen asleep. She then assumed she'd be with some friends, but when the afternoon came and there were no signs of her daughter, she started to worry. To clear her mind, her partner, Juan, and her went for a walk in a nearby field. As they walked, Alicia saw something disturbing. There were a pair of sneakers that she recognized as her daughter's, a handkerchief, and bloodstains on the floor. They called the police, who quickly isolated the area and confirmed that the sneakers, the blood, and the handkerchief belonged to Rocío. Following the blood trail, they found the tracks of a car next to a big pool of blood. From those tracks, they assumed the car was a small vehicle, about six years old. A few days later, a taxi driver contacted the police after hearing about the case and told them he had seen something suspicious on the night of the crime when he was working around that area. He had seen an SUV parked there, with the lights on, and when he drove past it, he could hear a blood-curling scream, but he didn't stop to check what was going on. This testimony helped the police situate the time of the crime at around 10 p.m. on October 9th. On the 17th of October, a massive search was organized by police that involved hundreds of people, but they weren't able to find anything. There was also a reward of 25 million of pesetas, which would now be around 250,000 euros offered by a neighbor and friend of the family for any information about Rocío's whereabouts. Her body was finally found on November 2nd in Marbella, 28 kilometers away from the place she was last seen in. She was naked and her body had been burned, which made it impossible to know if she had been sexually assaulted. She had multiple stab wounds. After finding the body, police found a couple of clues that led them to think the murderer was someone too close to her, a family member or someone in her social circle. First of all, there were some stickers in the black bags they found near the body which had been given out by the town's priest during the search. Secondly, the owner of the restaurant which was near the location of the body told the police that some of Rocio's relatives he had seen on TV were familiar to him. Apparently, they had talked to him about renting his business some time ago. There was also the fact that whoever had placed the body there had to know the place well because it was pretty hidden if you were just passing by. All of these made the investigators focus on the people closest to Rocío. As usual, her boyfriend was the first suspect, but they were unable to find any proof against him. Their second big suspect was Dolores Vázquez, who had been Alicia's, Rocío's mother, romantic partner. 
Alicia herself was sure of Dolores' guilt. The police ended up arresting her, probably also influenced by the huge mediatic and social pressure to find the culprit. Dolores always stood by her innocence, and she offered an alibi. She said she had been home that night, taking care of her mother and her niece's daughter. She said that could be proved because she had made some phone calls from there. Despite that, she was kept in preventive jail. The investigators claimed to have found fibers very similar to the ones in Dolores' usual clothes in Rocío's body. That proof, however, was discredited after a more reliable analysis, but by then the media had already sentenced Dolores, portraying her as the murderer as if it was a fact despite the lack of evidence. When her attorney asked for her to be released after the fiber evidence had been discarded, the judge denied it, and she had to wait in jail until the trial. During the trial, the prosecution focused more on trying to tarnish Dolores' reputation than in exposing actual evidence about her. That's because they didn't really have much of it. There had been fingerprints found in the plastic bags, but none of them matched Dolores. As we have said before, the clothing fibers didn't match either. Her car, a Toyota, was a sport car with a different kind of wheels than those of the trails found. The defense was able to prove she hadn't rented any other car that day, but the prosecution said that since Dolores lived in an area with a lot of foreign residents, who often left their keys in their cars, she could have easily taken one of those. There was, however, no proof of this either. Dolores' alibi held up, and there was only a short period of time where she left the house to go buy cigarettes and take out the garbage. This was proved with phone call records. A friend of Dolores testified she had called her that night to tell her she wouldn't be able to go visit her because she was taking care of her mother and her niece's child, and described her as a kind, generous person who had never been violent in her presence. There was, however, a fortune teller who testified Dolores had come to her and told her she had revenge plans against Rocío, and a former employee of hers that said she had seen Dolores stab with a knife, one of Rocío's missing person posters the day her body had been found. The prosecution story was the following. The prosecution story was the following. They claimed Dolores had been running around the area near Rocío's house. They had run into each other, and after an argument, Dolores had stabbed her with an identified weapon. She had hidden the body in some bushes and went back home, stopping first to buy the cigarettes. Afterwards, she stole a car, or maybe she was helped by someone else, went back to the crime scene at around 2 a.m. to pick up the body. She then took the body back home, where she kept it for a few days until she finally moved it to the place it was found. I don't know about you, but it personally sounds a little far-fetched to me. However, it was enough to make the jury declare her guilty. She was sentenced to 15 years of jail. You may be wondering why she was convicted with so little evidence, but you have to take into account the fact that this case was huge in Spain at that time, and the media pressure was brutal. Most people were sure she had been the one to commit the crime because the sensationalist media was constantly bombarding the public with biased and twisted information about the case. Dolores Vázquez, however, never wavered and kept claiming she was innocent despite her conviction, and time proved her right. On August 2003, the body of a girl was found in Coín, a village near Rocío's hometown. The victim's name was Sonia Caravantes, a 17-year-old girl. During the investigation, the police found DNA traces that matched the ones that had been found in a cigarette near Rocío's bodies four years earlier. Dolores was in the process of appealing her sentence, and she was supposed to have a new trial that autumn. However, it was suspended because of this new information. 
Finally, after 17 months in prison, she was released at the judge's orders, who didn't grant a request from Rocío's mother, who still believed Dolores to be the killer, to keep her in jail. To this day, she still thinks Dolores killed her daughter to hurt her, because she never got over their breakup. But who was then responsible for Rocío and Sonia's deaths? The answer came from the investigation of Sonia Caravante's death. A woman went to the police to tell them she suspected her husband was responsible for the deaths of Sonia and Rocío. His name was Tony Alexander King, and he was a British citizen who lived in the area. His DNA matched the one that had been found at both crime scenes, and when the police started investigating, they discovered he had a history of sexual assault in the UK, where he had been convicted at 19 years old for a series of sexual assaults in London. When he got out of jail, he was convicted again for robbery. After his release, he moved to the south of Spain with his wife in 1997, but they separated in 1999, the same year he murdered Rocío Vaninkov. His wife told the police he had showed up with a bloodied shirt the night Rocío disappeared. He was arrested along with his friend Robert Graham, who was accused of helping him cover up the crime, although he ended up being released without charges. In 2005, Tony King was tried for the murder of Sonia Caravantes and sentenced to 36 years of jail. He was also sentenced to seven years for an attempted sexual assault in 2001. In 2006, he was tried for Rocio's death and convicted to 19 years. He was found guilty of murdering her, but it could not be proved he had also raped her. It was suspected he had help in covering up the crime, but no one else was arrested for it because of lack of evidence. Dolores Vázquez spent 17 months in jail because of wrongful conviction. She sued the state for 4 million euros, but her request was dismissed by the Spanish Supreme Court on a technicality. After being released in 2002, Dolores moved to the UK, where she had lived with her family before, and found work in a small town at the east of London. It's no surprise she left Spain, where she had been vilified by the media, to a place where no one knew her to find a little peace after everything she had gone through. At some point, however, she returned and reportedly lives in her hometown in Galicia, northern Spain. I feel like this case is proof of how important the presumption of innocence is for a criminal system and how dangerous it is to rush an investigation or become so blinded by the media and popular pressure that you focus all of your efforts in proving the guilt of one suspect without taking others into consideration. This wrongful conviction not only ruined a woman's life by sending her to jail without the necessary evidence. If the real culprit had been found, Sonia Caravante's death could have been prevented. The role of the media has also been heavily criticized, but it's not the first or the last time that sensationalist journalists have irresponsibly blamed someone for a crime twisting the truth to sell the juiciest narrative possible. You will hear about similar cases in future episodes. If you're interested in finding out about other stories like this one, please follow this podcast on whatever platform you prefer so you don't miss any new episodes. Please consider leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help spread the word. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at SPTrueCrime and Instagram at SpanishTrueCrime. You can send an email at SpanishTrueCrime at gmail.com if you wish to contact me. See you next time.